Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 19, The Raid on the Cogni Building. Beetlehouse had arrived at Carrie's house in his limousine late in the afternoon. Under his arm were elaborate plans for the Cogni Building in London. After drinking a cocktail with Carrie, he unraveled the plans on Carrie's kitchen table. I won't even tell you how much I paid for these, Brian. Had this been six months ago, George, I wouldn't have been going anywhere. Everything's working fine. And who is this guy that we're supposed to meet? John Early, former Special Forces. Over 40 years old, they kick you out of there. He's 100% solid. He can help you as you guys parachute into that building or in the area. This building, look down the end of the building to the Mayfair Ave entrance. Priority, according to Early, is to jump onto the roof. I read the plans, George. I understand that. So you're telling me if we have to go down to the street that we'll enter through this area off of Mayfair Street. It's a docking area with three or four different doors. The far door on the left side, according to Early, and I have the keys from McPherson. That's correct. It's 100% correct. Ideally, you want to land on the roof because you can go down there unseen. Go in through the main area, you risk being seen by the lower guards. Lower guards, wonderful. All communication will be on the 67th band. Early has that equipment. Now, how much are you paying early? A considerable sum of money, but he also feels that this must be made public. He says they're all corrupt. Brian has been scuttlebutt about this for a long time. So what are we going to do? We're going to take the taxi to the city. That's right. Hawkins will bring the limousine in the opposite direction and up the coast. What we're going to do is take the taxi to the airport. Along the way, we'll switch cars again. I have a driver who works for me at the ballpark. He'll be there in his car outside Santos Park at 11 o'clock. We'll be off to the airport. And again, we will not be using my company jet. We'll be renting a jet. Markings on it. 541932. This is a very risky operation, George, but I don't see how we're going to make it public unless we get out there. Unless we get into that building and get the plans for the project, we won't be able to do anything. Even if we call the FBI right now, trying to get involved with the Walsh truck and everything else could just get us killed. I 100% agree. So let's sit back and relax for a few hours. We'll be picked up by John Early and the taxi. Just before 11 o'clock, a white taxi with the nomenclature Highline Taxi pulled up in front of Carrie's house. Beetlehouse and Carrie quickly moved out the front door and Carrie locked it behind him. They moved up to the car and John Early leaned out the window. Early had razor-cut brown hair and dark eyebrows. You ready to go on a little vacation there, Mr. Carrie? How do you do, John? Brian Carey. John Early. Nice to meet you. He opened the door and Carrie crawled inside and Beetlehouse went into the front seat. Going over to the park, I understand. Going over to the corner of 17th and 56th Street. Beetlehouse leaned back and exhaled. Carrie could see the pressure the general manager was under. He closed his eyes and then stared off outside the window as the taxi roared toward the connecting car. In 15 minutes, they were inside the car driven by Leo, one of Beetlehouse's workers, and the taxi took off back toward the city. 
Kerry could feel an excitement that he hadn't felt since last year when he was playing ball. His eyes were fine and the rest of his body and everything checked out. He looked forward to continuing spring training next week and then he would be off and running for a season that he wouldn't forget. Beetlehouse was becoming unnerved when the Jet was not ready to go on time. They assured him that they would get him to where he needed to be over London in seven hours. Kerry felt very secure about this operation. Maybe it was all the years and pressure of playing Major League Baseball that allowed him to sit back in the seat and close his eyes. But as he opened one eye, he could see Beetlehouse tapping his fingers on the side rest and shaking his head back and forth. Beetlehouse was not a man who liked to have people tell him that he couldn't do what he wanted to do. When they were up over the Atlantic, maybe four hours out, Beetlehouse had the plans to the Cogni Foundation building spread over a table inside the jet. Then Early repeated what Beetlehouse had said at his house. Remember, this thing must be made public, because they're all corrupt. Yeah, I get it, John. I know they're corrupt. Two of my friends are being held prisoner somewhere. We'll find that out once we get the drawings and plans of their project. Kerry felt a little uneasy with the AK Early had provided him. Several clips were already strapped over his shoulder. Early said it was necessary if they had anybody inside that building. Without weapons, they'd both be dead. Well, Brian, you seem to like the pressure. I thought you loved pressure, George. Yeah, I love pressure, all right when I'm controlling it, and I'm not controlling this. Look here at the basement containment area. John is an expert security guy. If you guys go through into the basement and get those drawings out of there. My sources tell me they wanted to get you out of the life movement, Brian. I don't think there was anything more than that, said Early. Well, it was enough. Thank God my eyesight came back. Brzezinski hasn't shown up to spring training. Nobody knows where the hell he is. Probably not in a good place. Okay, this is band 67. 67 is the only band we're using. It'll connect me and you through headphones, and we can talk to George anytime we want. Well, that's reassuring. Let's just make it happen, boys. High above the city of London in the dead of night, Brian Carey sat next to John Early inside the soaring jet. Below, the sleeping city's lights were scattered and the traffic was almost non-existent. There's no rest for Carey now. His first course of action would be to retrieve all information on the project that Jacqueline Barrows had produced. He thought the problem through, weighing all the possibilities, and realized that John Early was a great asset. John Early knew the ropes, helping through this ordeal. He had reasoned that parachuting to the top of the building was one option, but the best option was parachuting down into the street in the dead of night. Kerry had not only jumped many times in his life, but had won amateur trophies as a teenager. Early needled Kerry about his expertise as they flew over the city of London. The wind could be the only problem, as it had kicked up overnight over the city. Miss Kerry, please. The wind will give you a problem, but you're going to have to steer your chutes. He knows what he's doing, Peter. Come on. Well, it's a chance we're going to take. We're going down there no matter what. I don't care if we have a, a cyclone coming through. 
The only one thing I have to say to you, Brian, and I know your political point of view, but you may have to commit murder with these guns. Well, I also know that if I don't get that information and all that stuff out of the secure area, no one's going to know about this project. It's a dangerous project. All right, gentlemen, let's get to the back of the aircraft. George, you're going to secure the front hatchway, and they'll be back there and ready to jump out in three minutes. Carey adjusted his chute, tightened the straps, and both men moved back into the rear section. Beetlehouse put his hand on Carey's shoulder as he stood in the hatchway. Good luck, Brian. I know you can do it, kid. Yeah, I know I can do it too, George. They both went inside the back room. They watched Beetlehouse close the door and the hatchway was secured. Carey looked at the countdown timer on his watch in the red digits as they moved down toward zero. The side door slid open at the lower altitude and wind burst into the back section. Early nodded at Carey. I'm ready, he said as he put his goggles over his eyes. Okay, we're getting close now, said the pilot. Carey checked his watch as both men stood near the opening, gripping onto the sidebars. A variety of images floated through Carey's mind as he looked down at the twinkling lights below. The vibrant face of Darby O'Malley perked around in his brain as he had long given up hope that she and Philip somehow had survived the pursuit of the Wallace truck. More than likely, they were being held prisoner by this Jacqueline Barrows. Ten seconds called the pilot as the plane glided to a slower speed. Carey's mind flipped back to reality and he gazed down at the blinking lights on top of the Cogni building, not too far below. We're in range with the wind. We're going for the roof. We go for the roof. And to go, Roger. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, jump! The leap into the wind set him spinning slightly, but he managed to maintain control with his arms out. He could barely see early in the darkness as they flew through the air. Cooler air of the upper levels rippled his clothing and even into his helmet as he set sights on the blinking lights atop the building. He counted the seconds and then pulled the ripcord. The dark chute opened and he held onto the straps. Early had already opened up his chute and was gliding toward the top about 50 feet away from him. As he came closer, he became more confident, even with the wind, and they both landed on the concrete roof. The air was still up top due to some fencing around the top of the building. The air was cool as he bent his legs and prepared for the landing. He hit the hardened surface, rolling over with the finesse of a Hollywood stuntman. He pulled his bulky chute over and rolled it up into a vault, taking the pack from his chest. He and Early both tossed their packs behind the ventilating system. They left the chutes on the roof and hurried to the door, which led to the 52nd floor. He unzipped one of the pockets of his pants and dug out McPherson's set of keys, separating the one marked roof, and pushed it into the lock. It turned very easily and early moved in before him with his gun drawn as the door creaked open. Inside was completely dark, but they had goggles where they could see their way down the stairs. Going to the elevator would just not be an option. They moved rapidly down the staircase, descending hundreds of feet below, and when they had reached the lower floors, lights along the base lit the stairs. 
Holding the key marked private in his hand, he thought over the ramifications of opening the door. The light from another passageway, perhaps 40 feet to his left, shone into the darkened area. He put the keys in his pocket and early moved out ahead of him with his weapon drawn. Carrie exposed his teeth like a veteran soldier running through into the lower area. Nearing the lighted corridor, he stopped and peered around, glancing briefly. They ducked back when two men in cocky military uniforms with white helmets stood guard in front of a huge green door. Carey swung back with Early. Just take it easy, take it easy. They're not going to be there all night. They're patrolling the area. Let's wait till they leave, then we go into the private area. Early was right, and less than a few minutes later, the guards moved on. He followed Early out along the wall and then to the adjacent wall and quickly removed the keys and put them in the lock. Early did something to the security on, on top of the door and both men moved inside. Inside were rows of filing cabinets and shelves. Systematically, he pulled out one file from each of the drawers and ran toward the vaults to do the same. He ruffled through the files, quickly scanning the labels on each of the sets of plans. When he didn't find anything, they had to move to another vault to the right. Early was able to use a small level explosive, almost silent, to get the safe open, and when they were inside, they found green boxed areas that said, The Colossus Project. This is Band 67. Band 67, George, do you read me? This is Band 67. Band 67, George, do you read me? What the hell? Doesn't he know how to use the radio? This is Band 67. George! I'm right here, I'm right here. I left the walkie-talkie up front. I take it you've been successful. You're damn right we've been successful. This thing is called the Colossus Project. It's under the ocean. Under the ocean? For what? For what reason? They're breaking down a freezing technology. An infiltration of viruses into human beings. The virus will be used to, to refit the human genome system. To let people live forever, George. I don't trust any of it. There's another side to this. This revitalization room is the main area. The virus could be lethal to humanity. If the virus escapes, apparently that's why they're underneath the ocean. If it escapes, it could randomly move into human genes. In order for this technology to work, the body has to be frozen and a direct realigning of the gene sequence. The jet is powered up. Run right from the terminal, across the tarmac, and over to this jet, you know where it is. We're heading back home, boys. Quickly, he rolled up the contents like tubes, which he and Early summarily put under their arms. Now we just have to get out of here, John. Don't worry, don't worry. These people, the last thing they think of is somebody breaking into this building. When they arrived up top, soldiers were running around the lobby of the Cogni building, and at least two dozen of them blockaded the exit to the street. When Carrie and Early ran into the basement, he could hear more soldiers running above. Up ahead was the entrance to the garage, which Early shot open. He ducked behind a sedan as four more soldiers came out of the building. Early mowed them down, and then Carrie and Early ran forward along the cars underneath the Cogni building. Early found a mid-sized car and somehow started the car with some instrument in his side pack. Both men leaped inside and early backed out, screeching the tires. More men leaped out of the car at a door. Carrie shot it and so did early, still driving the car. 
elbowed and fell to the concrete as early zoomed up the rampway and out toward the street. Squealing the tires again, he lurched forward past some cement columns as more soldiers opened fire from the street. Early turned the car to the left and rounded the corner as more soldiers came running from the front. He increased the speed of the little car on the small London street. Kerry could see several soldiers down in the mirror behind them. I don't know what they'll get us, but we still have all the Barrow's files. They raced their car outside of town and toward the airport. In just a few minutes, they would be able to be on the plane with Beetlehouse and heading back to the United States. Let me see that readout, said Jay, as she stood over the table in the conference room. Class 1 instructions, code 52, repeat, code 52. Are you kidding me? Prepare for explanation to Cogni Building in London. Break in at the Cogni Building in London tonight, 2.33 Greenwich Mean Time. Sensitive information with documents stolen. Attempt to apprehend unsuccessful. Implement code 52 per Anson. Will advise. This is unacceptable. These people have to be stopped. Send out this Colossus response. Message received. J. We do not need a code 52. Who is it that's broken into the main building? What are your instructions, Jay? Asked Dr. Sylvester. We speed everything up. Everything. We're going to get this project off the ground now before they can make any headway with these stolen documents. Are we really sure that we're ready to make this project active? I don't care what you're saying, Dudley. This project will be accurate. Even if we have to use Phillips and the girl. Now, begin procedures immediately. We need to find out who broke into that building and kill them. Put a tail on Beetlehouse. Find out where he is. In your orders, shoot him on sight. Beetlehouse leaned back in the chair with a drink in his hand. They tell me, boys, that the U.S. Navy is ordered along with Coast Guard ships off the waters of Central Florida, specifically. They were sent to find a platform owned by the Cogni Foundation. What does this all mean, George? I mean, we're, we're not in a life-threatening situation at this time. There are people in the government who will do something about this now that we have this information. We need to find out more of Jacqueline Barrows. And is she really dead? Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Word.